From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and I was John McWhorter at Winmore Montessori School in Philadelphia in 1971, too. And I will never forget the afternoon I bit the dust in the spelling bee. There are other things that I should remember more about that time. I remember Jeffrey Nussbaum. He used to throw his own feces around in the class like a monkey in a zoo. He thought it was very funny. They expelled him. Or there was little Philip. Philip was a chunky boy, always with a smile. He was like something out of a silent film. But his parents would always send him to school with a tin of sardines. And that's how I learned the joy of sardines. He would always give me a sardine. Thank you, Philip. And Anne, Anne Norsworthy. I don't know if you're listening, but my darling Anne, Anne and I had plans to marry. There were all sorts of things going on in the class, but all I really remember, unless I squint, is the spelling bee. I was all excited because I was a good little speller, actually, but Here's the spelling bee, and they drag me up there, and they say cement. And I'm all excited, and I say S-E-M-E-N-T. Well, I was wrong. And that took care of that. I didn't get to answer any others. I was out of the spelling bee immediately, 1971, and I'm still getting palpitations. The lesson in it, other than, of course, the Broadway clip, and so 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Of course, there has to be something from that. And so here about spelling bees and memories is... I love what I see Kids acting innocently It's my favorite moment of the Folks, that's Lisa Howard. That is the most beautiful soprano voice I have heard in the 16 years I've lived in New York. She should be more famous. Black Olives, Peach Jello, and Lisa Howard's voice. That's all the platonic good. But why is English spelling such a challenge anyway? Why is it so bad? Why isn't it S-E-M-E-N-T? That still feels right to me. It certainly sounds like it. And so I want to just give you some of the reasons why. I mean, you ask the question, and in some ways, what you're saying when you ask the question is just, damn it, English spelling is bad. But why? How did it get this way? Did somebody do it on purpose? Obviously not. And so what happened? Well, there's some reasons. And one of them is something called the Great Vowel Shift. That sounds rather odd, and I've talked about it on the show before, but I want to zero in on it to give you a sense of, one, how natural it was, and two, what pernicious damage something like that can do. And so, for example, take made, as in you made that, M-A-D-E, made. Think about how odd that is. Think about if we're talking about Spanish and M-A-D-E is written well, it would be something like made, okay? So why is it that for us it's made Did somebody really plan it that way, that you have to pronounce the first vowel a certain way? If there's a silent E, why is there a silent E? No idiot would create that. It's clear that there's some sort of mission creep that has happened. And the mission creep is that that kind of spelling was created when that is the way the word was pronounced. But then the pronunciation changed, but the spelling didn't. And the main culprit in terms of vowel change here is this thing called 
the great vowel shift. Now, often it's presented, and that's including by me, as something that happened, especially in the 15th century. And so it sounds kind of exotic, something that happened to people who will never know. And what a bizarre thing. The vowels shifted. And now let's move on. But no, actually, vowels are always shifting. So to give you a more vivid sense of what this great vowel shift is, let's look at vowel shifting right now. For example, listen to this person who lives in a northeastern or upper midwestern city. This person is talking about a block, but black and then people had to write down what they thought they heard. So you can do that yourself. What do you hear? Black. Right. And then in another series, they heard... Living on one black. Now what do you hear? Block. Old senior citizens living on one black. Now what's important is that that is a perfectly ordinary person. This is not a bizarre accent. But black. Black. The person is saying block. They're referring to you know the geographical entity, but it's black. So a Martian might hear them saying black. What's happened is that that person's ah has been drifting into becoming an ah because vowels are always moving. Think about it. Ah, all you have to do is, you know, tweak your tongue somewhat. Those sounds are next to each other, not in terms of what the crazy, kooky, dopey alphabet looks like, but in terms of how the sounds are actually arranged in your mouth. So ah, that kind of vowel drift happens all over your mouth. So Let's take Aubrey Plaza again, because I really am a great fan of hers, and she does speak in a thoroughly unobtrusive but normal, young way. And we can look at a different kind of shift. And so here's ah, and then here's eh. Notice they're kind of close. There isn't a B, C, and a D in between them. It's ah. Listen to her saying head and sex. First, the whole passage. April, please, I beg of you, I will do anything to keep you from doing that. Okay, saw off your pinky toe. No. Shave your head. No. Have sex with Jerry. No. Well, I tried to be reasonable. Now, she sang head. Listen to her. Shave your head. Again. Shave your head. One more time. Shave your head. Do you notice that she's almost saying had? As a matter of fact, if you isolate it, had, had, had. frankly, if somebody told you she was saying had, you wouldn't say no, she isn't. She's saying had. You'd think that she was saying had. Now let's listen to sex, <laughs> as all of us enjoy doing. Here we go. Have sex with Jerry. Is she talking about relations or is she talking about a musical instrument? Listen. Have sex with Jerry. Again. Sex with Jerry. Sex with Jerry. Sex with Jerry. Really? It's sex. That's because of this vowel shift. It's happening now, it's perfectly ordinary, and it happened before. And so, block, black, well, ma day became mad day, becomes made, and then actually that final vowel dropped off. And so that's how you get from ma day to made. That's the sort of thing that happened in this great vowel shift. And then furthermore, as Jimmy Durante used to say, and furthermore, what happens after that is, once you've got ah moving into a, well, then a has to move out. What, what about the sounds that were already in there that were pronounced a? That's where, for example, we think of a word like feed. Imagine how it's written. We see those two e's and we've learned that two e's is an e. But wow, that's conditioned. Strip your mind down. Become a bay, 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 baby. You're a baby. Take off the diaper. You're a screaming, micturating, Baby. Now look at F E E D. 
What does that spell? It spells fade. That makes more sense. It would in any other self-respecting language. Fade. That's how it was pronounced. But once you have ah coming in and bumping it out, it has to find a different house. And so it moved to something close by. A A C. And that's why it's feed. So you have this chain reaction. And so, oh, by the way, diapers. My youngest daughter is now officially out of them. None of that for 10 days. Ah, the freedom. One learns freedom. Anyways, you have the E. Well, there are things in E too. So for example, imagine if we're talking about a word like um, ride. Imagine if ride is originally pronounced read, which it was. Well, how did it get to be I? Try this. So you've got E. Imagine if people then started putting a muddy little sound before the E and said, re, re. Well, why would they do that? Well, no, you don't, you don't have to ask because it's actually quite normal. And you know how we can know? Gomer Pyle. Jim Neighbors, Gomer Pyle. It's interesting. When I was at Winmore Montessori, my first lunchbox was of Gomer Pyle. And I don't know why, because I didn't give a damn about Gomer Pyle, but that was my first lunchbox. And so... In commemoration of that, let's play a clip of Jim Neighbors as the Gomer Pyle character on that sitcom and listen to the way he says C. You see, Sergeant, that's just the trouble. I can't hardly think a duke is nothing but my friend. Okay, let's isolate the word. C, 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 C. C, it's C. Little muddy sound before the E. C. That's his quote unquote hick accent. C. You see, Sergeant, that's just the trouble. I can't hardly think a duke is nothing but my friend. See there? So, if that's what can happen to the E sound, E, imagine if E then becomes A, A, I, I. That's how you get read becoming ride. Read, 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 ride, 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 ride. That's the great vowel shift. That happened to those sounds and it happened to other sounds. So, become that baby again. Take off all your clothes. You're naked. Your eyes are rolling around. There's nothing about you. You have no features. You're Casper, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Now, look at the word food. Does it really spell food? No, it's supposed to spell food, and that's how it originally was, but O moved up to O. O, O, O. There are variations on the same thing. And then, of course, there are things up in the O. So there was a time when a moose was not that enormous thing that you find in Vermont and avoid, but a moose was a little thing with whiskers that steals cheese and is often animated. But suppose you get a little muddy sound in front of the ooh, moo, like that. Suppose you're Gomer Pyle, for example. Let's listen to the way he says two. Well, I think of you as my friend, too. Two, listen to him. My friend, too, too, too. Imagine if he was actually talking about a mouse, except it's still pronounced moose. He'd say, well, Sarge, I'm looking for a moose, mouse, 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 mouse. That's how that happened. The only question remaining, because of course there's only one remaining now, is, well, why didn't spelling just follow along with these changes? And the answer is that there is a conservative in all of us. There's a little Mitch McConnell in all of us. I have video cassettes, and I'm not getting rid of them. There's some video cassettes that one has to have. I've got Bugs Bunny and Estonian. I've got old episodes of Our Miss Brooks. I've got videotapes of me doing uninteresting things 25 years ago. You have to keep these things. Also, the movie Titanic on two video cassettes. They're in my entertainment center. I have an entertainment center. And when that one gets screwed up, which it already is, I'm going to get another one. 
because that is the inherent conservatism or a less personal example. Let's go to Cyprus. We're going to go to the village of Lithradanto and there are people there. They're potters, potters, and they are making these jugs and there are these two bumps on the jugs. You go and you ask the Lithradanto potter, what are the bumps? And the person says, we have always done it this way. And you say, well, what is there a purpose for them? Is that what you hold them at or something? No, this is just what we do. This is the Lithrodanto jug. Okay, fine. And so then you drink some wine or whatever's in there. If you go digging in Lithrodanto and you know people have, then when you go back a couple thousand years, you find very similar jugs, except that they are in the shape of women and you can imagine what the lumps are. It's quite clear what the lumps are. Over the years, even though people are no longer aware of the mammary aspect of those lumps, people keep doing it. And why? It is just what we do. That is the inherent conservatism of humankind. Oh, that music in the back. That is the overture to Cole Porter's last work. A musicalization of Aladdin that did not quite work, but the orchestrator Robert Russell Bennett made this music sound like Berlioz in the overture. For some reason, that overture music is what I think of when I imagine breasts and pottery in Cyprus. And so the pronunciation changes, but we get used to spelling that has ever less to do with anything that we actually say. It's funny. I knew a guy once who used to always say, I don't like anything in between. I always like extremes. I like it to be either nice and formal, all the teacups on the table, little fingers stuck up, or just go wild. Just let it all hang out. Go wild. I never saw that man go wild. It was always the little finger stuck up. That's humanity. So the great vowel shift had a lot to do with it. And then, folks, these Latin insertions. It's almost... As I once heard somebody say, it's almost a funny thing. It's not funny in that it does create some of these spelling confusions, which otherwise we wouldn't have. And so, for example, island. Why is it spelled island? It was never pronounced island. There was no word island. You know why that is? It's the strangest story. So, you know, that word aqua or variations on it that you find in various European languages. Well, English had that. And so aqua. The vowel changed, and you, you now know where it would have gone. It was I. And so eventually, what started out as something like aqua in Old English became eeg. G and k are really the same sound. The final syllable dropped off, so eeg. So an island was waterland, eagland. And then the G dropped, and it was an eland. So I L A N D, an eland. Perfectly nice word. It sounds like something you'd want to bring home and pat on the head and eland. But then some person saw eland and then they started thinking about the French il with the s in it. I S L E and this person decided that eland must be missing that s. Now the French I S L E is from Latin insula, a completely different root has nothing to do with the aqua, but eland ended up accidentally looking kind of like the eel in French. Now, that's not absolutely crazy. I mean, you can imagine, for example, the little cheat 
that they did for the Gilligan's Island theme song when they ran out of musical syllables. And so here's how it ended. The professor and Mary Ann here on Gilligan's Island. So Gilligan's Isle for Gilligan's Island. Okay. But that meant that some boobo decided that we needed to have the S in the word island, even though we weren't pronouncing it, in order to tip our cap to the word's supposed origins in French. Doubt? Nobody says doubt, but that B is in there because somebody thought, well, you know, dubitare, etc. In Latin, well, we ought to have that B in there because it's original. And so everybody's saying doubt, but you have to stick in the B. Delight. Did it used to be pronounced delicht? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It's just delight. But somebody thought that that light had something to do with brightness because when you're delighted, often you do feel kind of lighted up. And so the GH is in there. And so we wonder, well, why the GH? You're trying to teach somebody how to read and you've just got that crap in there. Foreign. Nobody ever said Farrigan. You can just kind of tell. No one said, oh, that's a Farrigan man. Somebody thought that foreign was supposed to be spelled like the word rain. And so they decided that you have to stick the G in. And there you go. There's a whole list of things like that. And, you know, there's a part of all of us talk about the conservative, the person who doesn't want to go wild. And you like the idea of preserving these letters. And so, for example, a great many people in merry old England were and still are dropping H's on words like hospital, you know, hospital. That's really what it should be if you really took a survey of how most people were saying it at a certain point. A lot of you are just waiting for this from my fair lady, and I almost didn't include it because it was too obvious, but come on, let's do it. This is the middle of the rain in Spain, where Eliza is learning that she's got to keep those H's. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly happen. You know, that was the one that changed me. Broadway musicals. I didn't know anything about them until the final year of college. I got tired of listening to people around me talking about them. And the first one I decided to get a look at was this thing called My Fair Lady. I didn't know it from a hole in the ground. Took a look at the movie, was a little perplexed, saw this number, The Rain in Spain, and I just kind of lit up. I, I threw up a little. That was the beginning of the rest of my life. In any case, we do end up, though, in keeping something like that with these inconsistencies. So, for example, over there, they do say herb, talking about the things that you have to add to your food. We say herb. Herb to us sounds quaint. Herb to us sounds like Mrs. Lovett. All to do with herbs. That's the first time I ever heard that. And by the way, Stephen Sondheim, it was your birthday recently. And I want to 
thank you because in addition to giving my life meaning for now most of my life from you i have learned many words coriander arugula diadem and scow learned all of those from listening to your songs but in any case you know all to do with herbs but we say herb and yet you would never write it erb notice what a disaster erb looks like it looks like something that you'd keep hidden we have to have the h but for no reason at all this is what happens with random changes and random pickinesses and then what we call our spelling system and then This is one of my favorites because it's just such jackassery and yet we're just stuck with it. You know, why is it spelled S-O-M-E? Nobody ever says soam. What is that? Or work. You ever heard anybody say work? (laughs) No. And they never did. Work. What's that O in there? And then uh, come. Come here, my boy. Comb here? No. Nobody, Nobody says that. Nobody ever did say that. What are those O's doing in there? Writing systems, which is something we don't talk about much on this show because, frankly, you can't see them. Writing systems were such that it used to be that when you wrote a U in what we would today call cursive, it was hard to distinguish the U from what could have been taken as just two I's. And so a practice arose, especially at a time when fewer people read or wrote. And so you could stick in little in-house tricks like this and expect that a representative but compact number of people would understand it. People started writing O's for common words like some and come just to make it clear what words were intended. And as a result, we're stuck with these O's that make no sense. And I sit there with my older one and younger one is coming soon. Folks, she's over three. That is the time to start them on the reading to refer back to one show that I did. And it's a nuisance. And yet the conservative in us ends up having to accept these things. And so, for example, really, by all rights, come should be spelled, well, C-U-M. Now, that's the way it should be spelled. But do you want that? really. And so, for example, listen to a beautiful tune like this one. This is Lerner and Lowe. This is the same people who wrote My Fair Lady. This was their biggest hit before that. Yes, folks, I know Paint Your Wagon, but frankly, come on. So, Brigadoon, and listen to one of the prettiest ballads in it. Come to me, bend to me, kiss me Would you want that to be spelled C-U-M? I wouldn't. Think of various expressions. Kingdom come. <laughs> if you t- say to somebody, oh, come now. You don't want it to be spelled C- Or something like, well, come what may. Come what may not. And so it really has to just stay the way it is. There are things that we get used to. Think of the things that we've gotten used to. Miller beer, Hanna-Barbera cartoons, <laughs> frankly, the gong show. We're used to it. Anyway, now that we're at the intermission... And yes, there is no intermission, but there are times when I impose one. Well, here's a little commercial. J-E-L-L. Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. That's Jell-O. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O puddings. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O puddings. Yes, sir. That's from Lucille Ball's radio series. 
I'm going to keep bringing it up. My favorite husband. And uh, I'm playing that for a reason because on the Jello, I've already mentioned peach Jello on this show. It's easy to miss. The Jello comes in adventurous flavors, not just the cherry and lime that you find at, at nursing homes, but like apricot. They've got mango. For those of you who aren't afraid to admit that grape soda is delicious, grape. It tastes like a party where you had your first kiss behind a bush. And then, of course, there's always my favorite, which is peach. I've eaten it in bed and not always alone. I have smuggled it into movie theaters. I saw Aladdin eating peach jello with my fingers. And I'm bringing this up because processed foods that I like have a way of being taken off the market. My oatmeal raisin crisp is now gone. My mornings have never been the same. So I want to boost the sales of peach jello if I can to help keep it on the shelves. It's bad enough that I can't have my peach jolly ranchers anymore. I want the jello. So let me do a little pitch here. Even though jello is not one of our sponsors. Indulge in the ambrosial joys of peach flavored jello gelatin. You and your family will be glad you did. Find peach jello as well as a dazzling array of other tongue tickling, rib sticking, finger licking flavors, but especially peach at your friendly grocers today. And now back to our program. Another thing that messes up our spelling is that we end up having to accommodate to foreign spelling systems because we have borrowed so many words from other languages, a wonderful thing in itself. Foreign is not only a badly spelled word, but our foreign words end up making things even worse in terms of spelling consistency. And so, gazette, we know how to spell it, G-A-Z-E-T. What's that other stuff hanging at the end? Well, that's a French thing. And whatever the explanation for that is, we now just have to deal with it. And so, gazette. Or another S-E-M-E-N-T moment. I'm out of college and I get a job which actually requires you to be a good speller. And, you know, I was a good speller, but they gave me a test where I actually did get a couple of them wrong. And one of them was idiosyncrasy. Think about this word. I-D-I-O-S-Y-N-C-R-A. How many of you wanted to be C here? Because I certainly did. C-Y. Makes sense to me. No, it's S-Y. I actually got marked down. Lisa Ramez, if you're listening, that was you. Idiosyncrasy. And it's because it's a Greek word. And in Greek, if you've got a C, that is going to be an S, not a C. And so you have to know such things. And so God bless Greek, but it means that we have to deal with an idiosyncrasy like that one. And then finally, there are times when the reason that our spelling system is no good is just what I can only describe as it's just some shit. And so, for example, I've used this clip before, but I'm going to play it one more time. This is Rodgers and Hammerstein's worst show, Me and Juliet, and listen to Isabel Bigley singing a quietly charming little tune from it. Then along comes a fellow with a smile like a kid And he gets your attention with a timely bid He says he knows a bistro where they give you a break With French fried potatoes and a T-bone steak Now, the truth is that if we think about words like meat, E-A is E, and lead, and read, and frankly, almost all of them, then that song should be referring to giving somebody a breek on French fried potatoes and a T-bone steak. What is it with the words steak, break, and great? Why aren't they steak, breek, and greet? Drain 
is similar. It actually used to be spelled D-R-E-A-N in places. And the spelling happened to catch up with it for some reason. But why wasn't it just dream? But especially now, from what we can see, obviously, greet, steak, and break. Instead, they stayed great, steak, and break. And nobody knows why. There's no reason that applies neatly to all three of them. And really, it was just something that happened, and we're just stuck with it. They're pretty common words, although even steak. Do you talk about steak that much usually? But there we are. Or another example. I remember one of my earlier <clears throat> relationships, which was on the skids. And at one point, the person in question was talking about how charming it was that a person from far, far away who was not native to English was pronouncing the word wound as wound. She thought that was so cute. She was in love with him. They got married. In any case, that word is kind of frustrating. Why is it wound when really there's found, bound? round, wound. Why? It's a funny thing because all those words started out being pronounced the way wound is now. Booned, ruined. But the sound shift, the great vowel shift that made a moose a mouse, turned those words into found, bound, round. And for a while, wound. You would be cut with something and you'd get a wound. It's interesting to see things like, for example, zounds, is actually a deformation of his wounds, as in they were pronouncing it his wounds. And so it was wound. John Donne, the poet, actually rhymes wound with things that we now pronounce ound, which makes it clear that originally wound had behaved. So, for example, in Valediction of the Book, he says, Thence write our annals, and in them will be to all whom love subliming fire invades. Rule and example found. There, the faith of any ground, no schismatic will dare to wound, no, wound, that sees how love this grace to us affords to make, to keep, to use, to be these is records. Notice it wasn't records yet. Backshift, backshift. So, Dunn has it as wound, but for reasons that nobody will ever know, it went back to wound and made it so that if somebody says, wound, they get married. Or, for example, it's a windy day and there's something that's all over you and it's wind. Why isn't that pronounced properly? Think about it. You find something. You're kind to your mother. You bind something. Well, then how come it isn't wind? Isn't that annoying? And so, once again, you get a charming joke. Babes in arms. Rogers and Hart. Night. 1937. I'm not going to play the original because that wasn't recorded. My favorite recording of this song is Judy Blazer's version. And so here, notice this forced rhyme. Folks go to London and leave me behind. I'll miss the crowning. Queen Mary won't mind. I won't play Scarlet and Gone with the Wind. That's why the lady is a train. That's the wonderful Judy Blazer. And you know, just by chance, not long ago, I met Judy Blazer on the street. And she's very nice. And I told her I was using this clip the other day, and she made me promise to say that she's one tramp who thinks that I'm the bee's knees. Well, just like somebody who wears lingerie under their street clothes and only they know, I'm blushing. But nobody can tell because I'm just brown. In any case, it did used to be wind. Shakespeare rhymes it. 
that way. But and, you know, there is an explanation in this case. There were words like windmill where it never did become wind mill because of there being three consonants. And this gets into some detail. And, you know, okay, there's an explanation, just like there's an explanation for why you have to have a 1099 in addition to a W-2. But, you know, the explanation isn't one that really helps us. You listen to somebody and it sounds like the tramity grommets, Trevor, lobification, what do you matter? It's just gibberish. So that's why English spelling is so bad. It's more and more things like that. And you could go back to my second show. I won't be, but you could go back where I was talking to Anatoly Liberman about these sorts of issues. And one thing that we learned is that fixing this sort of thing wouldn't be as easy as it might seem because, you know, careful what you wish for. Would you really want the word no, as in I know my ABCs to be spelled N-O? Do you really want that? You know, it would obscure the relationship to knowledge and acknowledge. And think about knowledge and how that really, quote unquote, should be spelled. What what would it be? N-A-L-I-D-J. What, what would it be? However you really spelled knowledge would look like something one of the little rascals scrawled on a fence while they were dying. Would you really want that? But I hope that we can know that as with so many things that don't work or get on our nerves, it isn't the result of any deliberate evil. English has a long written history. Stuff happens in history. Things have a way of changing. English has been infected by a great many other languages. And add to that just the operations of chance, which, as I've said, are always part of how language works, both in time and space. And the fact that in populist societies, there are always people with too much time on their hands who come up with things like keeping the bee in doubt because they don't have anything else to do. And it's a wonder that English spelling isn't more of a mess than it is, and we're just going to have to enjoy the mess. Call it going wild. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. This show was edited by Mike Volo, and I'm John McWhorter. Oh, yeah, by the way, C-E-M-E-N-T. So that's for you, Mrs. Flasco. <laughs>